Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man, Andy Gillard here. Hope everyone's keeping well this winter season. Hello everybody, Matt Guy here. Short on, but regretting it. Yeah, I've got a whole week without short. It, it, got, it, it dipped below eight, which was kind of my, my threshold, especially when it was kind of drizzly and pissing down. It was just unpleasant, so I thought, well... Sure, it's still November is the the rule, as we all know, and it is very much November. Um, so I, I have bowed down, and they have not been slipped on to me at any point this week. <laughs> um, but jingle all the three lines, eh? That's that's the main thing. So it is. It is very much. Uh, even I've put like Christmas stuff up, stuff up this weekend, which is as you pay note, he's not like me. So yeah, I'm, I've got into the swing of things early doors. The issue, the, the issue is, I only own one pair of joggers, and they're like Primark cheap painting joggers that have got like <laughs> white emulsion all over them. And if I need, you say it's white emulsion, to... but <laughs> it's white emulsion. and if I like, we need to put something on my legs that cover past my knees. It's just my only option is jeans because I don't really own pajamas either. Um, and once you've had a shower of an evening, if you're going to have an evening shower. You don't then put jeans on afterwards. That's the rule, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's no jeans in the house. Like, it just, it's wrong. Because we're in the season now where I would rather shower the night before and then just have a face and bits wash in the morning because it's too cold to get out of the shower of the morning now before <laughs> work. But then I'll shower that, that then that evening. So I'm still getting my once a day shower. It's just at, at different times. That's that's fair, isn't it? I think. I, I think that's Bob on, to be honest, mate. Yeah. Have you not got any like long johns or stuff? No, Stu, I I haven't picked mine up from <laughs> <laughs> the, the wool ration shop. Yeah, no, I don't. I, no, long johns are not in my vocabulary. Because I, I have done that before. I've put long johns on and then put shorts over the top just so you don't see any kind of any roidals, um in case someone <laughs> knocks at the door. You don't want people that in, uh, in, but if Alison can wear it on pitch and be perfectly fine now, the keepers wearing leggings and tights and poor old Gabor Kiro years ago getting harassed for it uh, for wearing his grey joggers, he'd be he'd be lauded as a king now. So you've got this kind of this grey jogger fetish that these birds are putting on Twitter all the time. Well, I was I was just about to say that, like if TikTok has anything to to go by, if I get myself a pair of grey sweatpants, I'm going to be battering them away with a shitty stick. So maybe, maybe they do. The I have. I've got one pair. Okay, and that was to wear with green, obviously because it kind of works. Um, and they do. They do stare. It's, it's quite. It's quite enlightening, really, because obviously you have to buy them like really tight as well, so that you kind of you bunched up. But even just going to one, you know, I saw someone. I saw a woman in, in one stop in a full-on onesie and slippers yesterday. And the, this was like six in the afternoon. It wasn't night time. And like, well, you've clearly come out and it had like one of them dragon ones with the, with the spikes on the top. Oh, <laughs> <God>. <laughs> <laughs> a little tail. Um, but yeah, so you wear them grey joggers, you get the eyeballs. Definitely works. Wow. There we go. Is that is that part of, um, for uh, obviously no one can see this, but do you have a grey hoodie on? Is that part of a grey sweatpant ensemble, Andy, you're wearing it? No, I have got. Um... Some joggers on, but they're navy-ish oh, that you can just about see on the camera. But no, this is just a Primark Nickelodeon hoodie. I like it. Nothing I that like fancy, it. I'm afraid. Here, 
But no, you were wearing, wearing a hat what, inside. Wear a hat twenty four seven at this point of the year. That's true. But Andy, why are we here today? Segway uh, us in. Yeah, we are here after all this random sort of couture slash sporting conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I mean, we're a pop culture podcast, and what is more pop culture at the moment than the World Cup? I mean, let's be- a lot of Quidditch. Well, yes, that's it, yeah. So, yeah, because it's sporty and we're having to do a top five episode this week, we thought we would do a sporty top five. Um, But the World Cup, gents, it's the biggest sporting event every four years. Would you say it's bigger than the Olympics? I... yes. But then is that because commercially it's bigger in terms of like you know the, the olympics probably has a sponsor one sponsor or something like it's nowhere near to the same grand stage so we don't i don't think we see the olympics in every walk of life like aldi and every other supermarket i don't think has an olympic advert but they'll have something about the world cup you know what i mean i think yeah. it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bigger commercial enterprise so that's why we see much more about it I, I saw some statistics about the eyes on the world cup and then the eyes on the super bowl and that shocked me like i thought I didn't realise the World Cup was as big. Like, I thought it might be, you know, the Super Bowl might, just because of the sheer size of it globally now, because, you know, American football is very much over on these shores as well, that there was no comparison. It's The problem with it is it's still only really three, maybe four countries, mm. where you got yeah. here, Germany, maybe a little bit of Spain as well. Um, no one else cares, <laughs> so... That's that's automatic your, your problem, and then obviously with the time and how long the Super Bowl goes on for, and it's one event compared to hundred and oh, I can't remember. <laughs> Someone they did mention it earlier how many games there was altogether, um, but I can't be bothered to work it out. But the Olympics is like kind of the hipster's choice of sporting events at, at this point. I mean. Football wasn't around when the Olympics was invented, and that's the reason it exists, because there was no football, and football mm. is better than people running around and jumping in sandpits. It just is. So <laughs> it's, it's, more co- there, yeah. it's more commercially viable, but for a reason that more people care. And that's not just being, oh, yeah, football, football. And you, you, It already has started where the people who kind of pretend to know what they're talking about once every four years go out and <laughs> start talking about M Bapay, <laughs> so, <laughs> and it pr- pronounced this morning in the pub. Um, yeah, it, World Cup's massive, and World Cup fever is very much upon me, especially. And yeah, obviously, I- I'll put it on Twitter earlier today that yeah, obviously it's bad and everything that happened over there. It shouldn't be there. It's stupid. It ruins the Christmas decorations. I mean, flags up, but. Everyone moaning about it. I mean, the, the BBC coverage today was a joke. It was a joke. They didn't... I mean, if you didn't know that the... When was the last time an opening ceremony of a sporting event was not shown at all? It's never I, happened, I, I don't it? think it's ever happened. I, I, and, obviously, I think they did it today, obviously, because of FIFA basically putting a stop to, as they like to put it, political talk. Um, it's not political talk. It's talk about human rights. And BBC felt that they needed to highlight the human rights nature of uh, the issues with going to Qatar rather than be part yeah. of this masquerade of 
whatever the show of shit it was that they were putting on for an hour before the match kicked off. Well, it was over an hour. I mean, the fact that it started at two o'clock. I looked all morning to try and find where, if it was being shown anywhere. Um, uh, other than resorting to watching Bean Sports, which was obviously the last resort of anyone. Um, <laughs> it was only about when I just went on iPlay just to look if it was in 4K that it was the option was there. So, and they had it all completely shown. It wasn't just one camera in the corner. It was properly televised as it would be normally. And they didn't even mention it. And you think, well, you've had months and years talking about the bollocks of it all. We all know how bad it is. We all know how many people have died there. And it's like, if this is going to be what it's like every day, then I'm just going to want to bother. I'll just turn in five minutes before the game. Whereas normally I'd, I'd soak up everything about it. And they're going to be careful because it's going to. It's on that kind of precipice because you look at the reaction of people on Twitter. I know it's, yeah, whatever. But it's going to piss people off if they keep going on and on and on about it. We can't do anything about it now. I mean, the people moaning about it on telly, they're still there. They're still being paid. Mm. And like, you, mm-hmm. you, and you're looking at the England squad and the, the one love thing, I mean, obviously we'll know later on today if that actually gets worn or not. Um, but you're selling 120 quid replica shirts, knocked out for a fiver by some kids in Bangladesh, mm. and then you're preaching about human rights issues. It's just a lot of bollocks. We all, the whole world's bent and corrupt. We all know that. You've made your peace. Take the knee. Do things properly. If you want to watch, if you want to watch it, watch it. If you don't want to watch it, that's fine. Mm. But they're going to be, tread a very thin line there with this. If they're doing this every single day, which I hope today, I kind of understand. And if they'd said that this is an option, then fine. But that's what you want, an option. Mm. This, they talked about the game for 10 minutes. I mean, they, they, could have, they could have talked about the game for two minutes, really, about how bad it was. Yeah. Um, but, but normally you'd have the whole build-up and there was none today. And mm. I, it just really annoyed me. <laughs> Matt, how are you feeling about this this tournament in particular? How Has World Cup fever, fever grabbed you yet? <sighs> It was difficult because, like, let's say this wasn't in Qatar and it was another minnow that was was playing. So let's say it was San Marino versus Ecuador. I'd I'd still feel the same lacklusterness about that game because it's not the game that you want to start a World Cup with. Do you know what I mean? Even having the the, the um, Senegal-Holland game as the first game would have been better just because of it being more of a spectacle, I guess. But as it got closer to kickoff, I was thinking, oh, well, you know, I'll make sure I'm in, I'll make sure I'm ready, I'll make sure everything is on this and that. So it's difficult. I mean, with with the with the human rights stuff, you know, I don't remember this fury about when it was in Russia. And it's, it's a difficult one because, yeah, this is clearly an example of sports washing, as is the WWE stuff in Saudi Arabia. And it's clearly, you know, it, 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 it's a thing. Like, everybody knows it's a thing. But, like, there's very little that Joe Bloggs from their armchair can do about it at this point now. Um, and I think people have probably had, like, very few people have consumed nothing about the World Cup until today's game. So people already know the issues well ahead of time. But there will be some people that are blind to all of this kind of stuff. You know, there are a lot of casual people that won't know any of the information until they've seen today's game. 
So I've not got an issue with them talking about it for today's game. But if it's continued through the whole tournament and making it a thing for the entirety of the tournament, then it's, you know, this festival of football isn't going to feel like that. So I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that it's been discussed today because a lot of casual people who don't watch football at all, all year, but will tune in for this because it's the biggest sporting event in the world, should be told and people should know about how poorly this competition has been put together and the, and the, the sacrifices and deaths that people have had and stuff. I don't think it's bad that they've, they've mentioned it, but I think you've got to be... You've got to be realistic about the reason why people are tuning in in the first place, and it's not to be, you know, like my list of, of things today. Sport is there to be an escape, not a, a continuation of like the misery that you face in your own life. Yep. Absolutely. The thing about today, the performances and stuff actually ended round about ten past three, so they could have come on at half two, showed the the ceremony, and then spent. 40 minutes, half hour, 40 minutes, talking about exactly what's happened. You, mm. If you automatically get people through the door because you've got an opening ceremony, they're not going to turn off because they know the game's coming on. It, it just seems like a missed opportunity for and it was neither one thing or I the mean, other. I, I'm upset can you be about missing an opening ceremony, though? I mean, let's be Footix was there. Oh, come on now. <laughs> like... If I'd okay. missed, if I'd missed Footix, you know, I'd have been really, really mad because I love Footix. Go to Warsaw Illuminations, get your fill of that, and, and, <laughs> yeah, and yeah absolutely. I, mean? I would say if anyone isn't aware of the shit show that's been going on for was it 12, 10, 12 years since the it was announced. Tifo Football have done a fantastic video series on YouTube. That's T I F O Football. Um, there's five episodes, fifteen to twenty minutes. It really dives into what happened at the beginning right up until today and it talks about anything and everything to do with the whole thing. So I'd recommend people to go and give that a watch if you're interested in learning a bit more. Um, and Roz's video as well. Yeah. On Twitter. Yeah. Just Ross Atkins, just going to find him. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. It's worth checking out if you don't know and you want to know more or even if you do know and you just want a deeper dive, it's there for you to find out. Uh, but in regards to today's episode, we're going to do a top five on our favourite foot. Uh, sorry, our favourite sporting films. The only rule here is that you cannot use the same sport twice. So we'll go around the table. We'll go five to two honourable mentions, and then we shall give our number ones. Um, I shall go first, and we are starting off in the boxing ring with Rocky Three. Now. Rocky One was the film that was, you know, Oscar nominated and it was loved by the masses. And Rocky Five was the exact opposite. It was fucking despised because it was absolute dog shit. <laughs> Rocky Three for me is the perfect film. In sits in the middle of the the quintilogy. Yeah, quintilogy, I suppose, is the term for it. I've not seen the sixth one, so I'm discounting that. I'm just looking at the first five. And it marries the perfect bit of Silly bollocks and actual good sporting visuals on there. It gives you a bit of everything. You get the both ends of the spectrum. It's not so 
bad it's good because it's not a bad film but it does certainly have a whiff of that genre of movie about it you've got the silliness of mr t who to all intents and purposes to any wrestling fans out there could be the rock based in the 1980s he loves it <laughs> i mean he even calls him the people's champ at one moment like he very much does lean into the the, the wrestlingness of the, the showmanship that you get within the boxing. And he feels like he could be one of the first people within the boxing world to really run with the larger than life personality, which I do think a lot, especially in the MMA world and the boxing world. Now it is as much about your personality as it is about your in-ring skills. And I feel like Club Lang, Mr. T really is a flag bearer of, of that world. And plus, as I said, like the Rocky series is a fantastic one, but for me, number three is my, absolute favorite and it's in this list because i think it's the one i have seen more than any others so it is my favorite film it's probably not the best but it is certainly my favorite yeah it was it was my honorable mention of again exactly what you said it's the best rocky film <laughs> not counting the creed one if you want but uh, the, the core rocky films even number six three is by far and away the best one <laughs> and Weird fun fact, I had remember them little puppets that you used to get, um, like hand puppets, um, and you used to be able to control them when you like think you make their arms move with, it, with your fingers, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had a Mr. T Club of Lang, one of them, superb. Have you still got it? I might have it somewhere, you'll have to try it. He, he had a t shirt on, obviously, because you can't put your put you can't be fisting Mr. T, can you? You don't want to be doing that, um. <laughs> So you're saying you just pull your little fingers one and the other, and his little arms went out. Like a little, but it punched like that. It was like a little T Rex. <laughs> it was it was stupid. I, mean, we, I got it from Blackpool from an Illuminations visit. Um, but yeah, Rocky Three is superb, Und- undeniably the best one. Excellent, Matt. You've got to like it. Bit of Thunder Lips in the flesh, baby. Um, <laughs> it's br- it's brilliant. Um, Rocky Three is a great one. It's interesting because. You know, I think Rocky Two was out in seventy nine, and this was eighty two. Mm-hmm. But it's a short period of time in you know in the grand course of the century, or what have you. But it because it goes back to the start, and he's got to find the eye of the tiger again, even though it doesn't feel like that long. So it feels like it like when you speak about it now, and it feels like too soon. But it was it was perfect at the time, like. I know people talk about the Rocky films as, as boxing films, but there's a real like there's real arcing stories in the characters within, and they all have really good motives for the reasons that they do the things that they do, and for him to go back and you know try and reclaim the the fire that he once lost. He's a he's a, he's a tale as old as time, but then you mix that in with like a really homoerotic scene, like them running on the beach and then jumping up in those tiny crop tops to bring to to, to claim balance back to the force between what is like something that could potentially win an Oscar and something that would be on a softcore gay channel. So it's like, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, per- perfectly, perfectly weighted and balanced is that film. Mm, super. Uh, Matt, your number five, please. So my number five, um, now I want to pre- precursor this by, I mentioned it um, about five minutes ago, that this isn't my list of what I think is, is uh, from a, you know, the Screen Actors Guild point of view or from a quality point of view. It's just my personal favourite. And because it's sports, sports should be something that takes you out of 
you know should take you away from your problems or it should be something that you enjoy that can make you forget about the you know what's going on in your personal life so these might not all be serious films but they're, they're a favourite to me. So once I've got that out of the way, I can tell you that my number five is Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love this film. I really do. I love... One of the things that I like the most about it is the Americans' representation of what they think about F1 and <laughs> Sasha Barra Cohen's character. And, you know, the outtakes on this film are as good as the script itself and the ad-libbing is really good. And it's just... The sheer ludicrousness of this scenario is is just brilliant, and I just it's it's silly fun bollocks, and I get that, and it's absolutely fine. But put Will Ferrell and Sasha Baron Cohen together, and it's magic. It's just always going to be magic. I I really really like it, and you know there is an argument: is motorsport a actual sport? We can debate that another day, I suppose. But I suppose anything that you've got to do something to your body to make you better, I suppose, makes it a sport, I guess. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is, a, this is a really great film. And if it what you know, if it wasn't for, I know that you guys like the basketball one, I think a bit more, I think you've said in the past, or, or the ice skating one. I think Dolan was like a mad Dolan. He loves the ice skating one or something. But yeah, Talladega Nights is, is, is one of my favourite Will Ferrell films, full stop. I'm not a lover of Will Ferrell films. Um, Sasha Baron Cohen for me does definitely steal that movie though. I, I, I love him. I think he's always very funny. And for me, he's the highlight of that movie. So yeah, I can't argue with it. I wasn't a big fan of semi-pro, isn't it? It was the basketball yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. I, I did like Blades of Glory. I think I preferred that. That's it, Blades of Glory. John, yeah. John Hedder's superb in that movie. Quick sidebar. Have you seen the trailer for... So what's it called? The Will Ferrell Christmas film with Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> I have looks not. Terrible. Honestly, it looks awful. So me spirited and Sam, spirited. Spirited, that's it. We watched a few trailers last night at Christmas thing, and even the Santa Clauses like episodical show looked way better than this. Mm, wasn't impressed, sadly. Yeah, but this the, it could go down the, the Netflix Ryan Reynolds kind of you don't know until you watch it kind of thing that mm. we never expected certain other ones with the rock to be as good as it was and that turned out to be amazing well fun amazing mm. um but this yeah i think this is gonna go one of two ways and he's gonna get really really mad <laughs> or, he, or he'll actually enjoy himself I'm guessing he's going to get really, really mad. <laughs> I'm just not going to watch it, to be honest. <laughs> uh, Stu, you're up next, please. Well, you can't talk about sports film without sweeping the leg, can you? <laughs> and <laughs> Karate Kid was just one of them that... I've probably seen it more than I really should have done, considering its actual quality. Like, when you go back and watch it now... Um, and I, I, I haven't watched any of Cobra Kai, which I know is a disgrace. Um, but it was the whole thing of, is this nostalgia for the sake of it? Clearly doesn't seem to be the amount of people who love it and that it, it just hasn't been cancelled, which I expected it to be as well. Um, but yeah, it's just everything about Karate Kid. I mean, it, kind of spoiler for another, a, a future top five, it'll be a coming of age films. This could be in there as well. Mm. Quite easily, 
and you have the whole the the wash on wash off and the painting the fence and they're not really quotes they're like moments in time that you just don't forget and him teaching a young vulnerable boy how to kind of stick up for himself and grow as a person rather than just a karate kid <laughs> um it's again like rocky 3 and like a lot of the rocky films it's got more heart than it actually seems on the on the outside looking in and you've got a classic 80s villain in it so <laughs> what more do you want and i think even now i mean obviously this is the original not the stupid remake um but you should you show this to someone now you get over the kind of the time lapse stuff of obviously it's been nearly 30 odd years old it still really works and it's not cheesy really in any any way it's a really good it's really well made film and it deserves to be on here and again is karate a sport of course it is yeah, I, I do love the Karate Kid series. Um, I think the second one's my personal favourite, where they go back to Okinawa, when they go to Japan. And it's got Peter Cetera, The Power of Love. That's the same track. Like, it's fucking superb. <laughs> Great series. Um, and it, it, it is something which does have legs, even though you say, like, the remake was a bit shit. Obviously, it's still in the zeitgeist. It's still in the consciousness that they even tried to remake it all these years later. Mm. Matt, fan of uh, Karate Kid? Uh, not really. Mm, yeah, it's okay. It's Sam loves Cobra Kai, and like she was, she like very rarely, you know, when on Netflix it will say new series X Y Z of November. Whatever. She was like on it the second it got released and watched it. it was, she she really really enjoyed it. Um, they're 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 fine. You know, there's I think. At the time when I would have watched Karate Kid, it was like terrible parenting aside, but I'd already seen like Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter by that <laughs> point. So Karate Kid kind of paled in comparison to those, I think, which is why it didn't really have the impact on me when I saw it like the first time way back when. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, my number four is The Longest Yard, which kind of surprised me to have in there, and it's the remake of The Longest Yard. Like the original's fine, to be perfectly honest. Um, we've said on this podcast that none of us particularly care much for Adam Sandler's comedy, but this was one that I felt worked really well, mostly because he had a really solid supporting cast. Um, it had quite a few former and current pro wrestlers as they were at the time, which is always going to get a pop out of me, to be perfectly honest. Nelly, as in the dude from Hot in Here, appeared in this film and was actually like quite watchable. Chris Rock was in there. I'm a big fan of Chris Rock's work. So it was like the whole cast just had something about it. Um, there was a film that we looked at on our other podcast when we looked at um, Mean Machine, the Vinnie mm. Jones movie, which is basically the same film, except for it's about footballers we know it soccer to the americans um and that film does not work at all it's an absolutely fucking terrible film <laughs> like I, I remember enjoying it when i watched it but when we watched it back for that the podcast that we did on it it had aged so horrifically it was awful and even though it's got quite a good cast when you've also got the state in there who you know everyone loves the state and it doesn't work but when we did that podcast, I also watched both versions of The Longest Yard, the original and the Adam Sandler remake. And the remake was far and away the best one. 
I really enjoyed myself watching it, found myself laughing several times. And I, I, I don't generally revisit comedies, especially that sort of comedy. But I have watched that far too many times for it to, to not <laughs> be in my list. So, yeah, The Longest Yard. Matt, you're up next, please. So going, uh, I didn't think we'd have a, a double Sandler um, here. Uh, much less the same sport, except I've gone for the water boy. Um, yeah. So it's by no means a good film. Let's put it out there now. But it is a hilarious film. And it is a guilty pleasure now because it's obviously massively exploitative of someone that's like, you know, mentally ill. However, <laughs> um, it's just it's just it's just fucking hilarious, and it's in the public eye once again at the moment because uh, Big Show Paul Wright dressed as Captain Insano mm -hmm. this week in wrestling for the first time in twenty something years. Um, it's just a really great Sunday afternoon hungover sports comedy that just hits the right notes, doesn't challenge you in any way, but it has some laugh-out-loud slapstick comedy, it has a touch of heart about it, and it has, like, quotable one-liners. And that's just exactly what you need in a throwaway, schlocky comedy. And, and it has that in abundance. It's it's brilliant. I, I really love it. And, like, if you've not seen it, because it, it hasn't, like, reached cult status, mm. so people probably haven't even heard of it, you owe yourself a watch because you will laugh at it. You might not see it again. You might not talk about it to anybody else, but for that 90 minutes, you will laugh. Yeah, absolutely. As you just mentioned about Big Show or Paul White, as he is in AEW currently, dressing back up as Captain Insano, and they even replayed that whole scene from the movie. It was great to see. <laughs> like, it did bring back some wonderful nostalgia. Um you are right, though. I mean, I didn't expect uh, Adam Sandler to appear in any top five that we ever did, apart from maybe Uncut Gems. But, mm. like, yeah, he's got two mentions, and he could quite easily get a third at some point with another one of his movies. So, yeah. Are you saying <laughs> we're never going to do a top five Adam Sandler? <laughs> <laughs> I think we need to stay away from actor-specific top fives, because we, we just end up with maybe seven films to discuss. <laughs> so, yeah, but I, I doubt we would ever get to an Adam Sandler one. Until we're at like a question cast 1000, maybe. <laughs> uh, Stu, you're number four, please, sir. It's probably more relevant than ever. <laughs> at this time, I'm going to just play 4 4 fucking 2. <laughs> Mike Bassett, England manager, which again, we we re reviewed on um, for film cast on the uh, on the Wolves fan cast. Uh, apparently, you can still go and find it. It's uh, When I try, I couldn't find it anywhere. <laughs> Since we we moved channels, but watching even watching it last year or the year before, it's probably better now than it was when it came out. Mm. Like everything about it is so absurd anyway, but you still have these people around football, and probably because we're older and we can't, we've experienced it for ourselves with Super Mick and whatever. That obviously writing players' names on the back of a fag packet and calling them up from the third division doesn't happen, but <laughs> the the rise of the proper football man and the um, the firefighters and that kind of thing, these people exist still in 2022, even a whole 20 odd years after this film was made. 
and it's still as funny now as it was back then, maybe even more so in part. And it's in one sense, it's like a time capsule of that late 90s era with England. Mm-hmm. But then after, after to watch the Italian 90 documentary on Channel 4, there's a lot of that stuff still going on in this. And that was 10 years after that had happened. So uh, you look at some of the people in, in Qatar at the minute, especially doing punditry, if Mike Bassett was a real person, you could quite easily see him on being sports with Richard and Andy <laughs> talking bollocks. So I think as football comedies go, I mean, football films in general, as we've discovered, are quite shit most of the time. <laughs> this going down the, the route that it does just makes it seem more real. And the more real these things are played for, the better they are for me. So yeah, number four favourite sports film is Mike Bassett, England manager. The thing that I think works about Mike Bassett is because, like an Olympic, like the late 90s is now the new retro. And when things become retro, they come back in fashion again. So, obviously, like retro England shirts and everything like that. So, this is like gone full circle now. And he's back to being, it's now like cool again. Everything comes around, history repeats itself. So, you what, like, like exactly like you said, like the Italian 90 documentary is in people's vision at the moment because of that Channel 4 documentary. And, and the World Cup, etc. So, this film is like I think I genuinely think Ricky Thomason has had a bum deal in public opinion because he's not like I think he's he's a really good comedic actor that I don't think ever maybe I, I don't know I don't think he you know he's never had that huge role outside of this film and the royal family that anybody really would you know herald him as an amazing actor. But he gives it all. He gives it his all in the royal family as well. Like he plays, a, he plays a, someone that's in one scene massively unlikable, but then mass, a massively lovingly father in another, and does it in a way in a script that is intentionally meant to be dour and vague and like inane, as British families are. And he still manages to pull those emotions out of the bag. And I, I don't think he gets a lot of acting chops that he deserves, Ricky Tomlinson. No, I think. He seems to have questionable views, I think, is mm-hmm. the, the yeah, PC yeah. way of putting it. And I think Ricky Tomlinson, the person, takes away from Ricky Tomlinson, the actor. So you are right. I mean, the royal family, he's a tour de force in that. Like, he, he genuinely does dominate the every single scene that he's in. It's all about him because he, he does put in a hell of a performance. And he doesn't get the credit for it because people associate the actor with the character and most people mm-hmm. don't like the actor. I think he's yeah, possibly think right. why that is. But as for Mike Bassett, when we reviewed it, I went in with very, very low hopes. I remember enjoying it when it was released in 2000 or whenever it was. I enjoyed it then, but then when we watched it back like 19 years later or, or whenever, I thought this is not going to have held up. But as a snapshot of the time that it was set, it's, it's a perfect representation of what it was to be a football fan at that period of time where we had the best team in the world, but they were always shit and they always <laughs> let us down. Um, so, yeah, it was perfect for what it was. It, it's a really good movie. Right, so my number three is a sport which I don't really know hardly anything about, but I thought this film was fantastic. And it is I, Tonya which is about the Tonya Harding ice skating scandal where she broke 
Nancy Carrigan's ankle, or maybe she didn't and it was somebody else. You never really get to the bottom of the story. Similar to Mike Bassett, it's done in a sort of faux documentary way. So they interview characters whilst also putting in scenes that are going on within the real world. They managed to marry it up really well. So it's actually a very, very well shot film. Um, it, it never sort of, it, it takes some comedic leaps, but without ever going so far as to mocking what was actually going on in the real world at that time. It's an absolutely superb piece of work that I think was Oscar nominated for Best Screenplay and Alison Janney, I think, may have even won the Best Supporting Actress uh, gong at that year's um, awards. It was an, just a phenomenal movie about a sport. I have got zero shits to give. It was brilliant. And like Margot Robbie is, I mean, she's just gone from strength to strength throughout her acting career. Prior to this, she was in The Wolf of Wall Street, which is a, a great film. But she's probably the least known actor. And there are such big performances within that movie that she doesn't stand out other than being absolutely drop-dead gorgeous. But within I, Tonya, the film is pinned all around her. She is the I, Tonya of it all. And she holds it all together with a plum. From being this woman who is abused and downtrodden, but she's also a bit evil, a bit of an arsehole, and she manages to marry the two sides of the character perfectly. It's such a great film. And for some reason, I've watched this film almost every year since it's been released, and I don't particularly know why, other than it's just really, really well acted. I think it's excellent. Yeah, timeline-wise, this this probably won't fit, but I remember this being the first like Margot Robbie film where she's, rightly or wrongly, she's not there to be sexualised. She's yeah. not there because she's drop-dead gorgeous. She's there as, as, as an actor. You know, obviously you had Wolf on Wall Street, Suicide Squad, the shit one, and the well, not shit one. Um, Birds of Prey, not so much. Even her appearance in the big short was there, her naked in the bath. Focus with Will Smith. Do you know what I mean? All of these films, she she's there because she's not not because she's gorgeous, but she's playing that mm -hmm. role. Because whereas this is her acting chops, yeah, and actually she's a damn fine actor. Yeah, absolutely. And she gets to show that in this, which is great because you know I don't think it would be fair that just because you know she's attractive that should limit her role potential because actually that's not what i'm sure she went into acting to do in the first place mm. and i don't know if this was the film the first film of this but this felt like it was the first film where she it was pinned on her as a human being it felt like she went out and she was i don't know if she was the producer on this but she was doing all of the the producer's work so she was yeah. going out talking about what this film means why she wanted the role and it was a lot more than just margot robbie the actor it was margot robbie the everything because she's become something of a jack of all trades she has become this producer she's done rewrites on some of the films that she's done i believe that she i don't know if she has done directing but i think she has got some directing work in the pipeline she's become something of a, a renaissance woman now she's yeah. she can do it all and this feels like this was the first film of hers where we got to see that. So it, it feels like it was um, a moment in time for Margot Robbie. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Matt, your number three, please. 
So we're slowly moving into the realms of favourite and good films now. Um, not that surprisingly, IMDb would tell you, which uh, so when I looked into it, shocked me that it was only a 7.9, but Rotten Tomatoes has it as a 98%, and that is The Wrestler. Uh, mentioned The Wrestler before, did my dissertation on The Wrestler. Um, I can't remember the exact title of my dissertation, but it was Discuss Masculinity, uh, as a concept within the wrestler and basically the, the, the thing about you know masculinity in bond is that he's weak when he's hurt but in wrestling you're seen as stronger when you're hurt and bleeding and you know being cut and everything else is actually a, a, a source of pride and strength and how that differs within film but you know went, made those parallels in in my dissertation um the rest is a really great film and it's it was funny because it was it was the ballad of Mickey Rourke in many ways, like an aging person that once was in their prime has now got to come to terms with the fact that they are no longer in their prime and has to still live some form of life. Can they do it? Obviously, he's had loads of battles with addiction in the past himself, Mickey Rourke, and as he had this renaissance through this film in Iron Man Two, was it when he was Whiplash or whatever yeah. his name was? Um, but then has kind of gone off the rails again since. Um, it's just a, it's a very bittersweet film about really wanting to see someone succeed, and you don't you don't get. It's a cruel lesson this film in that you don't always get what you want as a viewer in terms of what you hope the character achieves or doesn't achieve, etc. And then as a wrestling fan, then, and bring in the stuff that it's got Ring of Honor in and it's got wrestling cameos, that just elevates it to another level. I think this was probably his only, like, I don't know if it was, it was Oscar-nominated or Golden Globe-nominated mm -hmm. um, for Mickey Rourke as well, and it really put him back in the public eye for a new generation of, of, of film-goers as well. It's a really excellent film, and um, you don't need to be into wrestling to enjoy the story of coming to terms with age and your life and what you've achieved or haven't achieved and how you how you deal with that um you know that that is a story that doesn't get lost just because it's about wrestling yeah absolutely the sport is the the train that carries the film but the actual important stuff is inside it isn't it that's mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely um obviously you may correct me on this matt it feels very much like it's the story of jade snake roberts probably mm -hmm. someone that i would imagine even non-wrestling fans probably are aware of jake the snake he's a very very popular figure throughout wrestling history especially during the boom periods of the 80s and 90s um, which would lead me to also recommend, and if anyone is vaguely interested in watching, is it Beyond the Match, which starts the Jake downfall, and then the resurrection of Jake the Snake Roberts, where yeah. it's more about him coming back up. Um, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. Stu, you're less of a wrestling fan. Um, have you seen The Wrestler? Is this on, on your radar at all? Yeah. Um, it was one of the... Funnily enough, it, I watched it when I was kind of that 18 months dalliance when I kind of got back into it for a little bit. Mm. Um, but again, I watched it with someone who ha hates wrestling and thinks it's silly. Um, but again, she enjoyed it for the, the film that it is. Yeah. It, it doesn't really matter. Like you were just talking about 
well, it's on you. It doesn't matter but that it's a film about that. Um, and there's a lot of things like that. Even like the, you could probably say like the Wrexham, Welcome to Wrexham documentary. You don't need to know anything about football, really. Mm. It's about the people. And that's what the rest of it was for me. And him looking the way he does is a help for a change rather than a hindrance. Mm. Um, yeah, it is. And you can kind of see the trauma that he's been through. And yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, the farce of Iron Man 2 is... <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, it, Bone Saw in, <laughs> in the first Spider-Man is better than he uh, his performance in that. Which, and that's obviously just a cameo. But um, yeah, the rest of deserves all the plaudits and probably more than it hasn't got for being the film that it is. And it just gets kind of... Done well, batted aside because it's a rest, re, air quotes wrestling film when mm. it's really nothing to do with it at all. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. And I think that Mickey Rourke was the perfect person, as Matt so eloquently detailed. <laughs> I don't think there's anyone else they could have put in that role who who didn't who couldn't bring their own real life um, troubles and battles anywhere near as well as Mickey Rourke. And I think it's kind of shown because he's never really found a role since that movie. He's kind of gone back to being in the shadows a bit like he was before that movie. He's never quite found his niche again with it. The The only reason it's not on my list is I've only seen that film once. Um, and all of these, I've seen each one of these films at least four times. <laughs> so, so that's the only reason it doesn't make it onto my list is just that it's, it's a great movie. It's probably not my favourite. Well, it's definitely not my re- favourite wrestling movie. I think it's the only reason. But yeah, wonderful movie. Uh, Stu, your third, please. I mean, it, it goes back to what Matt kind of hinted at is motor sport a sport. Um, you've got to be in a, some kind of physical condition to withstand the G-forces on your body. Normal people couldn't get in any kind of car and do what they do. So... From that aspect, it's a sport. And Le Mans 66 slash Ford versus Ferrari, depending on what part of the world you're in. Um, again, just a really good story. A factual story about someone's drive to beat someone else just because they can. And for no mm-hmm. other reason other than that, really. And being a massive F1 fan that I am, and obviously this is not F1 really, but... Ferrari ruling motorsport in the early days and being challenged by Ford. And it's just, well, I don't need to say anything about it, do I? Because the fact that you like it, Andy, says everything about it for itself. Yeah. And the, and superb performances all around as well. If you don't know anything about the story, don't look it up. Just go in blind and just think this is a film about getting one over on someone else. Where does this film, Stu, rank compared to Rush? Because Rush nearly made my list, but then didn't. And where? how does this compare? It's obviously going to be two completely different subjects, but, you know, I thought Rush was a phenomenal film. Is this better than Rush? Um, I had the same thing. I mean, Rush was one of my honourable mentions. I think, in a way, it's ruined for me because obviously I knew what I knew. Rush, I knew the story behind that. Mm. So the Nicky Lauder stuff and what happened to him. 
and what happened to James Hunt later on. I already knew that, so going into this one was more of a... I was more in the dark about it. You can't really split them. If you like one, you'll like the other. Mm. Um, I went with this just purely for the fact that I think it's a better... F- I liked it more because I didn't know as much yeah, as I did fair. about Rush. If it was a best film, you could argue you could just switch them out mm. in indistinguishable of each other. That Really, they both deserve to be on here, but my one and two, I like more. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you like Rush or if you like this, watch the other one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think as you pointed out, Stu, the fact that I like this film, I've got no interest really in F1 or most racing stuff. I just don't I just don't find it that interesting. The only reason I watched it is because it was Oscar nominated that year. And as you know, I try to watch all of the films. <clears throat> so all I knew was it was a two and a half hour film about cars going fast. And it wasn't <laughs> Fast and Furious. So I thought I'm, I'm not going to enjoy this. And from the first minute to the last, I was just gripped with it. I remember texting you within the first half of the movie, like, oh, this is actually a special movie. This is brilliant. It's James Mangold, who obviously we know from Logan. So you know the type of uh, performance that he can pull out of, you know, decent actors. And Matt Damon and Christian Bale, both unsung to perfection almost within this movie. It's absolutely superb. Much like The Wrestler, the only reason it's not on my list is because I've only seen it once. Because I don't feel like it's the type of film that I want to keep revisiting. It's a moment in time that was just a wonderful movie. So that's why it's there for me. Uh, My second one is my wrestling film. And it is Fighting With My Family. Loved it. I mean, we've spoke about it a few times on this podcast. I love Florence Pugh. She's... She can do no wrong in my eyes. Like I I genuinely feel she's the modern day superstar actor. You see her walk into any um, red carpet event and all eyes seem to be on her. She can hold the audience whenever she talks. There's just something about her that is very old school feeling when it comes to acting. And this is a very young performance by her, I feel. It's quite early doors. I think she's only done Lady Macbeth at this point. But she doesn't feel like there's a naivety to the character, but not a naivety to Florence Pugh, if that makes sense. I feel like she manages to bring her her youth to the role without making her come across as weak. And it's the story of Soraya slash Paige, depending on how you may know her in her, her walk of life, from going from being what's effectively member of a Carney family in, in, in Norwich to... The, the huge stage of being at the first WrestleMania, sorry, the first Raw after WrestleMania, winning the title in front of a crowd of people who may not know who she is, but being accepted and being loved, which isn't always an easy thing to do, uh, especially in the wrestling world, especially in WWE, in a Vince McMahon world, when you're not a blonde-haired, massive-breasted woman, uh, which is not what Paige was at all. She was the antithesis of that type of wrestler. And she still managed to be one of the most beloved. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I, I choked up when she made her return to the ring last night in, in our world. Um, after a, a five year absence due to an absolutely horrendous injury. Um, 
so I mean, as as personal view, it was very much a nice tail end to what we had established in this film. And this this film came at a really difficult point in the real page Soraya's life, um, battling with addiction and injuries and all these other things. And it was nice to see this other side of her. So I think in terms of representing a real human being, it was fantastic. I absolutely love this movie. We got quite a bit of The Rock. We got Stephen Merchant. We got um, Vince Vaughn. Vince Vaughn, Nick Frost, um, Lena Headey. Like it's just brilliant. Like yeah. the, it's got some of the best of the English that I love. It's got Dwayne in there, which we've obviously discussed that ad nauseum on this podcast as well. So, Fighting My Family, wonderful movie. Yeah, I mean. In terms of, you know, films, I, you know, Paige, Soraya, I, I've seen other films of her that have got me in a way that I've had to reach for the tissues. Um, I mean, that aside, you know, it is a great story and it's one that I think was was covered really well and acting-wise, all the right people seem to be in the right roles. Like, if you look at, like, Roy Knight and then you look at Nick Frost, it was, like, it was, it was, it was so well done. It kissed um, me almost, yeah. Yeah, it was. It, you know, it, it is a really good film. One I've only seen once, probably need to see again. Um, especially now she's in the limelight again for her return. Um, it's been a it's been a weird year or two in the wrestling world with these wrestlers coming back from like horrific neck and spinal injuries that I wince when I see Edge and now her wrestle and Steve Austin wrestle because I'm like. <laughs> you're one fucking bad move away from being a vegetable. Like, mm. uh, I find it awkward. I find it difficult and uncomfortable to watch sometimes. Yeah, and uh, I don't know about you, but whenever I watch any Japanese wrestling, they seem to hate their bodies, the mm. Japanese wrestlers, because they just do these moves that I've seen people have to retire from. And it's, it's yeah, it's it's tough to watch, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Mm. It really is. Yeah. Uh, Matt, your second choice, please. Now, this is really tough because I've gone for soccer. I've gone for football. And there's so much out there that I could have picked, some that have made my honourable mentions. And I feel like I've almost cheated in going for an out-and-out documentary. But I've gone for uh, Asif Kapadia's uh, Maradona documentary. Mm. I nearly said Madonna there. Maradona's <laughs> documentary. Uh, watched it only two, three days ago. Again, for probably the fourth or fifth time. Um, and a documentary that probably has about 5% English narration and the rest of it is either in um, Italian or um, in Portuguese or Argentinian, whatever they speak over there. Spanish. It's their Spanish. <laughs> um, and it's, it's, it's really just a bittersweet story about what I would argue is the greatest footballer that ever played the game who we spoke about the other day, could easily play in this generation's game as mm -hmm. well because of his technical ability. And someone that was killed by not only his addiction, obviously, everybody knows that, but he was so famous it killed him. And it's, you, you see throughout the course of this like two-hour documentary a man's soul leave his body due to fame and the pressures of fame and the pressures of being an icon and that it's just not everything. Like it, it, 
it's not worth what it did to him. You know, obviously he was gripped by his addiction and he was in with the uh, the Camorra of Naples and but he was bigger than he was he was to the Italians as well, which you know, rightly or wrongly, they're so religious and everything else. He was put at the pedestal the same as God. Do you know what I mean? He was he was in Naples because uh, they were a country that uh, they were a country they were they were a part of the southern Italy that was seen as the toilet of Italy and they were seen as you know, their words, they were the blacks of Italy, according mm-hmm. to the people in Turin and, and, and Milan and everything else. He represented them and made them worthy of being part of Italy. He was just a god, and it was, it was unbelievable. Like, we just know Maradona in the public eye as just a coke fiend that was was, was, was amazing at football. But then you watch this documentary that's so well done, and they got access to so many people around him that... It's just it just shows you the human story of it, and it's just so sad. And I know I've said sports should take you away from like your misery, but like it's just it's just awful what happened to him. And this documentary just puts it across in a way that really gives you sympathy for somebody who, if you listen to Peter Shilton, you think was the devil incarnate, <laughs> and he wasn't. Like, um, don't get me wrong, he was a shit house, cheating, horrible, whatever, but. He was a human as well, and I, I think you know this documentary is a good way of showing you that side of him as well. Mm. Um, Asif Kapadia, the director, he's done three films which have been specifically about a, uh, a you know three documentaries about a specific person. He did Maradona, which you've just mentioned. He did Senna, but the one that stands out to me personally is very very similar to the Maradona one in the Amy Winehouse documentary. Mm. Oh. Another person who just whose whose fame killed her. Let's be honest that that's how she died. She battled with addiction and everything, but that addiction came as a result of the the fame and everything that came with it. And it's just very interesting how he's managed to get two films about two people who you would imagine would be so different, mm. but he manages to find the core, and they're actually quite depressingly similar. Um, Asif Kapadi, yeah, three three documentaries about those three, and they're all three very very good documentaries. Yeah, Senna, I mean, is is heralded as like a, a work of art that should belong in the Louvre. Mm. Like, it's people really love that that as well, and um, I'd be keen to see where he goes next because you know he's he's not someone that pumps something out every year to tick a quota. Like, you know, I think he is from from what I understand. I heard him on Talksport a couple of months ago. You know, he very much picks a project, puts everything into it, and then and then creates something special. It's not there to you know for a quick cash grab. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've just looked on his IMDb page to find out what he's directing next, and there's nothing in the pipeline, or there's nothing announced in the pipeline. So he's probably in the depths of, of figuring out where he's going, which n- not enough directors do that and seem mm. to live there you know, their lives on whatever subject they're going for. I think Capadia seems to be one of a kind and the world of documentary making is much better for it, I believe. Yeah, just called Amy, that documentary, which I, I hadn't mm-hmm. seen that one. So that's <laughs> that's next. Um, yeah. I didn't, you know, Senna was unlucky to be on, not here. Um, I've said it before, hey, well, we actually watched that in the cinema, which is rare to watch a documentary in the cinema anyway. Um, and walked back to the pub afterwards. Me and Dean didn't speak to each other the whole time. Just went to the pub, got a drink, sat down, 
just proper, <laughs> like, speechless. Obviously, I remember it happening to me anyway, but just superb. Really, really, really well made. And the Mar- Maradona one, I watched that. I watched that when I had COVID in, in 2020. I was when I was bedridden. <laughs> um, my tablet on its arm. And like you said, Matt, considering it is 90% reading, <laughs> even in that state when I wasn't really useful to do anything at all, I was still gripped by you. I think that says everything about it. That it, mm. even when I couldn't breathe properly for four, four whole days, two hours of that was spent upright reading off a tiny screen because I was so gripped by it. Mm. Brilliant, uh, Stu. Your number two place up. I don't think you can get much different, can you? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, follow um, <laughs> Feel the rhyme. <laughs> Cool runnings, obviously. <laughs> and again, I've I've realised when you go down the list of what I've actually taught about, and it's it's a lot of taking the piss out of sport, mainly because a lot of it they can't you can't replicate it properly. So when you try, it doesn't work, and it always looks fake. Yeah, this being a true story, and obviously an exaggeration of a true story, and having having. Lord John Candy in it as well, being excellent. Um, mm-hmm. Was this the last one before he died? Um, I think he did one more after it. He did the Western comedy that the name escapes me. Wagons East. Yeah, he went, oh yeah. Right. Well, yeah, yeah. He, he was he was definitely at his biggest <laughs> um, <laughs> when he when he did this. But again, it's just funny, man. It's just <laughs> I mean, uh, when you say you've watched a bit all these at least four times, I've probably watched Cool Runnings at least ten times. Yeah, easily. Easily, and it's like every every winter. You you put it on the you know, Obviously, I could have, I could have put Fire Ice and Dynamite in here, as it's technically a sports <laughs> film, but people would get mad at me again. And no, don't need that. But in place of that, the other winter film that you have to watch, and it's always on ITV two anyway, is Cool Runnings. It's just funny, and a Jamaican bobsleigh team. You couldn't make that shit up if you tried. And so the fact that it actually happened and they they did it with such heart and not mocking them in any way. And you've got characters there who and they're instantly quotable even now, years and years later. Probably can't talk like Sanky without getting told <laughs> off again, but <laughs> you know, you know what I mean though. It, it's like these things stick in your head and it's just so much fun. And if we're going with favourites, yeah, I'll talk about a serious film in in Ford versus Ferrari, which is Oscar nominated to Cool Runnings. Yeah, because I love this film. And it, it just puts a smile on your face, and especially in these times. Go and watch Cool Runnings and come away with it, not feeling happy about yourself, because you will. And that's what everyone needs right now. Yeah, can't argue with that. I'm just looking on IMDb at the moment at Cool Runnings. It really surprises me that it's a 7.0. I don't know what I sort of expected it to be 5.6 or something. It's the kind of film that doesn't feel like it should be a classic, but it's the kind of film that everybody seems to actually quite love. There's something about it. Mm. I imagine the if I looked on Rotten Tomatoes, it would be a case of the critics gave it shit, but the audience loved it. It feels like that kind of movie. 
I think this may have been the first film I saw at the cinema that was about sport. And as you say, it feels like it. It feels like it's not a real thing. <laughs> you know, Jamaicans who live in a country that is hot. I imagine year round going and doing ice stuff. It just doesn't make any sense. But it's wonderful, and the fact that it is a true story adds this next layer to it. I loved John Candy. I think he may have been one of my favourite actors as a kid. I thought he was brilliant. Uh, I've just looked. He did a couple of other films following this one. His last film was actually Canadian Bacon, um, which was a very small role in... um, Oh, the documentary maker who did Fahrenheit 9-11. Michael Moore. Michael Moore. That's was going to say John Moore for some reason. Um, yeah, in, in one of his satirical films. But I feel like his magnum opus, John Candy's magnum opus, is Cool Runnings. This is the film that I imagine most people of our age will know and love him for more than anything. Uh, so we've got some honourable mentions to go in here. Um, the Last Dance I've got on my list. I know it's not a film, yeah. but it was... As close to documentary perfection in, in a series. It was absolutely brilliant and it, it's much more than sport. It's sport, it's the man, it's the myth, it's the legend. It's about his impact on the world and the world's impact on him. Um, just absolutely superb documentary making. Um, Eddie the Eagle. I, I really enjoyed that film. The only reason it didn't make it onto my list is because I've only seen it twice. And I've, as I said, I've seen all of these films more than that. So I can't consider it a favourite just because I haven't seen it as many as the others. But Eddie the Eagle was fun. Eddie the Eagle's a character who has always seemed to be about because he's a loser. <laughs> and I, I don't mean that like harsh. But he he didn't do very well. He was like the guy in that one Olympics. I can't remember what his name was, but they'd nicknamed him the Turtle because he was a bit of a big guy who did the hundred meters in like about three minutes. Um, he's got that reputation to him, and they really bought his character and everything out about it. He was he was fantastic in that movie. I, I really enjoyed uh, Eddie the Eagle. And the last one I wanted to mention is one that we mentioned in our group chat. The one that I think might be the best sporting film is Raging Bull. I think it's an I think it's a work of art. I think it's absolutely superb. I love Martin Scorsese. This may be the film I've seen more than any other of Scorsese's. It's between that and Goodfellas, probably for the the top two slots. I think it's it's brilliant. And the fact it's this one story that I always come back to with it, which is why I think it's brilliant, is that when Jake LaMotta was watching this film with his ex-wife, he turns to his ex-wife and says, was I really that bad? And her response was, no, you were worse. So the fact that De Niro managed to bring to life this absolute monster, both in the ring and in his personal life, he managed to bring him to life. And you sort of loved and hated him in equal measures. It was brilliant. The performance of him and Joe Pesci as well. I mean, it's always magic when those two seem to get together on screen. And it was magic when they did it in Raging Bull. You're selling it to me now. I slagged it off earlier. And I know it's been a long, long time and I probably wasn't old enough to appreciate it properly. But you just made it sound like like one of the best films ever made. <laughs> I mean, it, it, I think it's in the IMDb two, uh, top two fifty. It, it's up there, and it it's up there with Scorsese. And as you know, I'm a big fan of Scorsese's work. So, 
I would say give it a revisit if if you're on the fence about it. It is brilliant. Matt, honourable mentions. Um, so the Damned United uh, is up there in, in for football, um, but Sheen's performance is better than the film. I think. Yeah, if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. I think his performance is better than the than the sum of the parts of the film. But it's great. I mean, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, and if Maradona, you know, if I hadn't watched that very recently, might have made it on that list anyway, you know. Um, Blackball, and uh, I've mentioned a couple of times before. <laughs> um, what I find interesting about Blackball is, you know, it's made pittance at the box office and it's really, like, it's really inconsistently reviewed. But the BBC and the Radio Times hated it. And Empire Magazine loved it. And that tells me everything you need to know about those two industries mm. and those two publications and, and, and that. It's just a fun slice of the dourness of English and British life, sporting life, and how we get caught up in benign things when it becomes popular. Kind of, it's the story of darts coming out of the... Um, the working men's club into Sky Sports, but it's lawn bowls, not darts, mm. essentially. It's it. um, and it's it's it, it, it's a good film that will never see the light of day for most people, and will always be in the bargain bin of like a co-op. You know, when you walk in <laughs> the DVDs in like a one-pound little shelf or in a little bucket thing, it's always there. Basically, yeah, yeah, it is great. Um, touching on the Damned United. It's a very, very good football film. The reason it didn't get a look in on mine, the book is so much better. Okay. Um, like the the film is just so different to the book, and and mm. that's why it didn't work for me. Like, and and I, you 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 saying that Martin, um, not Martin, Michael Sheen's performance is better than the film. I think that is where the film loses marks in my book because it's mm. a very good performance. And I think if it was in the book rather than the film's yeah. retelling of it, I think it would be damn near perfection. Mm-hmm. So that's why it doesn't quite do it for me, but it's it's probably the best of the, the footballing films, personally. Except for maybe Dave Batista's final score, which I expected <laughs> to be terrible, but fucking love that movie. God, <laughs> well, I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, Stu, honourable mentions, mate. That was just going to be one of them. <laughs> um, when you were talking about wrestling earlier, I was like, I'll, I'll wait till the end to bring it up. But the, the bike chase on the roof of Upton Park. So. <laughs> Legendary. Um, fever Pitch. I don't think we've ever talked about Fever Pitch. And from a kind of English football fan, I say perspective, but it's, it's obviously based on the, the book of the same name. It's all right. It's, I mean, I watched it with an Arsenal fan, so I kind of it was a bit different, um, and just watching it on my own. I don't know where how well it would hold up now. It's, it's quite old, um, but it seemed to catch the feels of being in that kind of environment pretty well. Uh, the we talking about documentaries, the FIFA uncovered one on Netflix <laughs> last week, or the week before, just fucking outrageous. It's just just shockingly bad how they got away with so much for so long. They're all criminals. Some of them have have amazingly avoided jail and are still wandering around. And it's like, 
it's one of them things where you watch it and you can't believe what you're watching because <laughs> it's so bad. And the ethics, like we talked about Aaron a bit ago at the whole World Cup and why it's there and whatever. You watch this and what's it being in Qatar is not even the worst part about the whole story. <laughs> it's Incredible. just, it's a disgrace. It's an absolute disgrace. But again, thinking at four hours, I think you said it, Andy, how can they make it into four hours? Mm-hmm. I don't think they could have really cut much out, really, um, in how they make it, how they do it. It's pretty well done. Um, Rush, we mentioned earlier, could have been easily gone on here. Um, dodgeball as well. I thought we, that would be mentioned when we were talking yeah, about. Yeah, of course. Um, I'd completely forgot about that one, actually, yeah, to be fair. Okay. Yeah, so we used to play dodgeball when it was raining at school. Mm. That was that. There was the PE equivalent of, oh, it's inside dodgeball time. And then, obviously, health and safety took it away from us. <laughs> um, and shockingly, again, I mentioned Fred and Sander in Happy Gilmore. Yeah, that nearly made it on my list as well. There's something about golf where it just doesn't seem to have translated to the big screen. Um, but for some reason, Happy Gilmore is is far and away the best thing that's ever happened to to golf. <laughs> it's brilliant. The the one film I'm amazed that none of us have mentioned that I've just remembered, A Shot at Glory, <laughs> the, the Ali McCoist classic. Oh. Like Ali McCoy should not be an actor at all, but. He was really good, even like he played a Celtic player, and like you believed him, so that's how good he was. And he outacted Michael Keaton. <laughs> it, it was brilliant. I mean, yeah, you've got Keaton was in there, Brian Cox was in there, so that you know some big name actors, and and he held his own with a plum. Brilliant movie. <laughs> uh, right to our number ones. This is the only duplicate on the list. So I'm, <laughs> I'm going to jump across mine. Um, Matt, what's your number one, please? So I thought this was, uh, when you said that I didn't need to worry about the clash, I thought this was because of a technicality, because no. mine is Rocky 2. Um, now, mine is Rocky 2 because you've got the human story, but you also get the, um, you know, he wins the big one. And he becomes champion, and you get yo Adrian, I did it, and, and all of that. But in there, you get the story of Apollo Creed, his pride taking over when all that the fight with Rocky should have been was is this exhibition, and that's all it should have been. But a man's pride takes over, and he lets that get the better of him, and he lets Rocky have another go. Then you get all the stuff about Rocky being the ultimate underdog because he needs this surgery and he gets called out. You get all the stuff about Adrian being pregnant and you get the stuff about Mickey not wanting to be his coach. And there's all these arcing storylines that makes Rocky 2, arguably, it should never have been a good film. Like, they get worse as they go on, these Rocky films. From a storytelling and an actual... Mm -hmm. from from a filmmaking, I drink hipster coffee and have a beard scale, it goes downwards. And from enjoying it as a popcorn film, they go up until you get to five and then it just comes completely downhill. Um, I just think this this is the clock. Like, Rocky almost should have ended at Rocky 2, in my opinion, in that 
it was the ultimate story and arc and then he becomes a champion and then that was it like it, it didn't need to go any further i'm glad that it did but i think rocky 2 over rocky 1 because you're already in love with this character and they managed to tell some really good emotional human stories in the second one as opposed to the first where we're learning about his character learning his motives and his and why he does the things he does um and i just think this is an excellent filmmakers film whereas you know they really play on in four that people know it's now shit <laughs> three wasn't shit at all i really liked it for the reasons i said earlier but like rocky 2 is a better film rocky 3 is a better movie yeah do you know what yeah I mean? absolutely um rocky 2 is good like i think one is the best film you know as far as you go in terms of cinematography writing all the mm. wanky stuff that you, you associate with film rather than movies um but the second one, it does have it has that feel good factor, which as much as I enjoy being a cynical bastard, you hmm. can't be going away from a cinema smiling, and and it does give you that. Whereas one, you're happy, but very much within the remits of seeing a man lose, you're happy. Like mm. whereas this one, yeah, he does he he wins the big one, and it's a great experience at the end of it. And there are some combinations to storylines which are really nice to see. It's a great I, I, choice. Rocky Balboa six has no right to be as good as it is. I think it's 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 just about is on the nostalgia scale of sickly sweet with nostalgia, mm. but it it has no right being as good as it is. And the third Creed film that's coming up, I watched the trailer the other day, and it's like. Where do you take Creed now? Because you had the first Creed introducing the character. You had second Creed, which was all Rocky, which was basically Rocky Four, and then this is like, where do you go with that character now? But they've they've put a really interesting little twist on what this story is going to be about, um, and then it links it back to Rocky Two about pride, about family, about dealing with fame, and what that can cost you in the long run. So I think that like the Creed films have been a revelation. They've been they've been really good. I'm really looking to Creed, looking forward to Creed three. Mm, it, it's one that's been on my list forever, but I just for whatever reason, I'm never in the mood for it, and I don't know mm. why. The third one, I, I don't know why, but it just gives me Fast and Furious vibes. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what it is. It might just be about the color palettes and stuff like that. It, it looks very Fast and Furious esque. Which obviously is a reason why I know I will like these films when I eventually yeah, get yeah. around to them. Yeah. Um, so as I said, there's only one film on all of our lists, which has been a duplication. Stu, would you like to tell the people what our favourite sports film is? I can't believe it's number one. <laughs> it's it's a duplicate. I mean, let's just just sell it to the people. I mean, you, you look at this cast. I mean, nineties Philip Yasmin Bleef, Jenny McCarthy, Robert Vaughan. From man from Uncle himself. Uh, Matt is looking with absolute bemusement here. <laughs> Bob Costas, who you probably won't make any anything to you. Um, Robert Stack from from the Mystery Show. It's basketball. <laughs> what else could it be? It, it, it's the ultimate the sports film. It, it's brilliant, isn't it? And you look at it again. You look at it now. I mean, this was like what the uh, very early days of South Park when this came out in '98. South Park had been out a year, I think. Mm-hmm. And then you get two people 
out of nowhere. And the other guy who I had to look up his name, Dian Basher, Squeak, yeah, yeah. Who around that time he he was with every he did everything with them. <laughs> Well, the, the the silly cannibal musical thing, he, he was in that as well, and Alfred Packer, and he was... He... But you look at Matt Stone and Trey Parker in this, and yeah, you meld together basketball and baseball because all the other big sports are, have gone to corporate and there's no soul left in them. And then you look at a fucking World Cup in Qatar. <laughs> <laughs> and again, harking back to the... Um, the FIFA documentary, which the Coca-Cola link-up with FIFA was of, to, a way of getting money in for the greater good so they could expand the game in poorer regions. And obviously, money leads to greed, leads to badness. It happens in basketball where they sell their idea and they can see how it's getting out of control. I think this is a stupid film that's 6.5 on IMDb, yet... It's probably got more of a moral say so now <laughs> than mm-hmm. it did in 1998. Plus the fact it's absolutely genius and hilarious. And I don't know anyone who's ever seen this film who hates it because it's not possible. No. I, I remember when the film was released, and you know, every sort of five or six years, a movie gets released and it's the worst movie of all time. <laughs> it's never the worst movie it's usually bad but not dreadful like i remember the all saints movie honest i remember that being the worst film ever made and it was just a bit crap and when basketball was released it was the worst movie that had been made up until this point in 1998 um but it is hilarious like it is genuinely laugh out loud funny in parts some of the most obscene and obscure <laughs> random bullshit that comes up um, the dude whose name that you butchered and I'm not even going to try and pronounce because I'll do just as bad a job. He just gets bullied throughout this whole fucking <laughs> film. You should feel sorry for him, but you hate him as well because he's a little bitch, which is the nickname that they give him throughout this movie. <laughs> it's very funny. It's got 90 stalwarts, as you said, Yasmin Bleeth, Jenny McCarthy. It shouldn't hold up at all. This should have been consigned to the dustbin of history within six months of it being released. But somehow it had legs because it does lean in very much to that South Park kind of humour, which I do understand is a very objective kind of humour. So subjective kind of humour. Not everyone is going to like it. I, I, I do appreciate that. But I think if you like it, you will love this. It's the kind of humour which... There is a storyline to it. There is a moral centre. As you said, Stu, the fact that we're in this corporate hell of a FIFA World Cup and this is sort of like the seeds of it were sown in 1998 in a film, which is where they married up baseball and basketball to create (laughs) a new sport. It's absurdity. But depressingly, this absurdity seems to have come true. And it's probably always had like a, a seed of it. Um, obviously, being American sports fans, we've seen teams who move from one side of the country to the other because there's a little bit more money available if you move from Utah to St. Louis, for example, and then move back again six months later because <laughs> there's tax breaks if you move back, that kind of nonsense. And this movie plays on that to perfection. It, it's 
it knows more about sports than it really should. It, it tells you a truth that you don't quite realise you're going to see. Mm. I'm guessing, Matt, you've never even heard of this, let alone seen it. I've heard of it, but I don't think I've seen it. Um, I sounds like I'd remember it if I had. I know of it, but for some reason, it. it I think when I think of this film, I always like think of Chasing Amy. Is it just is it in no, that time no. period? I know it's nothing to it, do with yeah. each other, but it's just that time period of like dogma. This Chasing Amy and Clerks yeah. all kind of like roll into one set of films that I wasn't old enough to know existed at the time. I, I think that's fair. It's that sort of mid to late nineties American humor that took over the world and then vanished quite quickly. Like comedy seemed to evolve quite quickly out of yeah. that, I feel. Throw this, high fidelity in there it. as well. Oh, I love high fidelity. But yeah, you, yeah, it's that. There's a, a proper 90s-ness to it when you watch it. I, I don't think that's a bad thing. No, I no, think it's a, a, a great thing personally. But as I said, it's very to the individual, I think. But watching it net, it'd be fascinating, actually. Watching it now, with no kind of no background in it, not I'm guessing not even seeing a trailer, <laughs> and maybe it's like a kind of Xanadu kind of thing, <laughs> where it's it's better now because you've never seen it before and you've got modern older eyes and yeah, mm, could be. It's an interesting experiment. This will be. Yeah. You need to do it now. <laughs> need to report back to us, Matt. Yeah. Right, okay, that's us done for another week. Uh, next week, rather than a picture part, it's going to be the first week of December. So what we're going to do for the next couple of weeks is we're going to give you a watch guide of Christmas-based films that you can watch for the next seven days. And we'll give you a bit of a rundown up until Christmas. It'll be three films a week just to give you a bit of options on your Christmas viewing. Uh, we'll let you know a bit more about it when we get there next week. Please make sure you're subscribed onto whatever podcast that you're listening to us on right now so that you don't miss an episode. And make sure that you're subscribed on all of the socials. We're at cagefightingpod. Uh, also, if you've got any emails, send them our way to cagefightingpod at gmail.com. So for this week, Matthew, would you like to say goodbye? Take it easy, everybody. Look after yourselves. Check in on your pals. Have a great week. And enjoy the festival of football. That is the World Cup. Stu, would you like to say goodbye? Justice for footics. Goodbye. <laughs> it's goodbye from me. And remember, be excellent to each other. <laughs>